You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Ladies and gentlemen, your attention please. Now batting for Fantasy Sports Radio Network, Fan Rock Fantasy Baseball, the host, Al Melchior, Fan Rock Fantasy Baseball. Hello, everybody, and happy Sunday to you. Happy Fourth of July weekend. This is FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior, and boy, do we have a lot to get to today. Lots of news, lots of injury updates to get you ready for Week 14. And you know what that means. It means we're about to get into the second half of the fantasy season already. Where does the time go? Uh, also, later on in the show, from FanGraphs, Mike Podhorzer is going to join us. Uh, he's got a great uh, ebook out on uh, doing your own projections. That is awesome, and you should check it out if you haven't. Uh, projecting two point or projecting X two point So I'll be talking to Mike about uh, forecasting for the second half of the season for several different pitchers. Some maybe going upwards, maybe some going downwards. Uh, so could go over that with, with Mike Podhorser. But let's get right uh, to the news, the big news. David Paulino suspended 80 games for, uh, and I'm sure I'm going to pronounce this incorrectly, uh, Baldenone. Uh, so it's uh, PED suspension for David Paulino. Uh, lots of people very excited to have him up in the major leagues. Tied a long conversation with Nando DeFino on the show on Thursday. So big disappointment there. Uh, David Paulino suspended 80 games. So that's uh, you know pretty much where since we're at the halfway mark, uh, that's that's it for David Paulino uh, for fantasy purposes. Pretty much this season. Uh, also uh, staying in the state of Texas, but moving on to the little bit of Rangers news, uh, they've decided to go with a committee situation for closer. There, Jeff Bannister saying that there'll be several. Uh, relievers being used to close out games, including Alex Claudio, Keanu Keela, and Jose Leclerc. And I'm going to guess Leclerc gets the bulk of the saves because I dropped them in a bunch of leagues within the last week. Uh, I know that's not how it really works. It just seems that way. Also, Matt Bush it will be in that mix as well, but I imagine not, not playing a major role until uh, he shows some improvement. And along the lines of some closer developments... Well, we've talked on the show here about Sam Dyson being projected as the replacement for Mark Melanson, who's on the DL. He did, in fact, get his first save on Saturday. Uh, So Sam Dyson been on a roll lately, uh, closed out his first save. And Andrew Miller in the on-again, off-again saga there in Cleveland, he got the save on Saturday as well with Cody Allen pitching in the eighth inning. So lots of uh, goings on there in the uh, in the ninth inning around the major leagues. But uh, like I said, a lot of news to get to. We'll get to most of it after the upcoming break. Uh, we'll talk about uh, the status of Michael Conforto, uh, the debut of Clint Frazier, uh, CC Sabathia, Danny Duffy. Will they be ready to make starts in Week 14? We've got to cover all that and a lot more right after this short break.
Welcome back, everybody. You are listening to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm Al Melchior, the host of this show. And uh, as I mentioned before the break, we got a lot of injury updates to get to, help you out with the upcoming week, and uh, lots of news performances to break down. But first, uh, let me tell you about the world's premier 24-7 fantasy sports radio network app, which allows you to take the fantasy sports radio uh, network with you wherever you go. Download the app now on the iTunes Store or on Google Play and listen for free anytime, anywhere. You can hear Tony Sincata on the treadmill. You can hear Benny Riccardi in the car or Greg Sussman on the subway. Or just relax with the king on the couch or with Jake Seeley when you're jogging. We'll keep you updated and informed wherever you go. So get the Fancy Sports Radio app for free right now on the iTunes Store or on Google Play. And take the experts with you. Back to uh, the news, lineups, weather. In fact, let's uh, hit the weather first because that's going to be really quick. No major chances of precipitation anywhere, according to Roto-Grinders chief meteorologist Kevin Roth. So uh, set those lineups with impunity. Get them out there because it doesn't look like there's going to be any games that are going to be in serious danger of being delayed or canceled. All righty. So now uh, to the news, Michael Conforto is placed on the DL with a bruised left hand, but it was retroactive to June 28th. So you won't be able to count on him for week 14, but uh, the minimum stay can get him in there for week 15. So hopefully a, a short stay for Michael Conforto. The Rays have agreed to a $3.8 million deal with Wander Samuel Franco, who is number one rated international prospect, according to uh, MLB.com. So a big signing there for the Tampa Bay Rays. And as I mentioned very quickly right before the break, and as you all know, because this happened back on Friday night, uh, or at least the first reports of it happened on Friday night, Yankees have recalled outfield prospect Clint Frazier. He made his debut on Saturday, and it was definitely a dandy. We'll break that down a little bit later on in the show when we get to some of the standout hitting performances. Uh, Frazier's got a very, very interesting profile, a lot to like, maybe some things to also, uh, to, to use the you know name of the show, Curb Your Enthusiasm, a little bit as well, but we'll uh, talk about that later in the show. But sticking with Yankees news here, CeCe Sabathia, he is expected to make his return from the DL and from his hamstring injury this coming Tuesday against the Blue Jays. Danny Duffy, same thing, expected to return to the Royals on Tuesday to face the Mariners in Seattle. He is coming off of an oblique injury. And while we're at it, add Eduardo Nunez to the list of players that you will see back in the lineup on Tuesday, uh, hopefully. Uh, He is expected to return uh, on Tuesday uh, from a hamstring injury. Also, uh, uh, John Mozalek, the Cardinals GM, says that he is expecting Dexter Fowler and Kevin Segrist to return this week. Uh, do not have a specific date there. Obviously, Fowler with a lot more fantasy appeal of the two. And not only will Fowler, Fowler's return impact owners who have been stashing him, waiting for him to get back, but there is, a you know, once he gets back, there's going to be a bit of a logjam there in the outfield because Tommy Pham just continues to produce. Randall Gritchick has been red hot since coming back from the minor leagues and Stephen Piscotty's been going well. So that's going to be a tough situation there. Um, all players that are worth owning and starting if they're getting playing time, 
but at least one of them is going to lose some playing time and, and maybe all four to some degree lose playing time if uh, Mike Matheny doesn't opt to just uh, put one in, in a reserve role. So that's something to certainly keep your eyes on over the next day or two. And with more Cardinals news, uh, Colton Wong is not expected to return until after the All-Star game, which sounds, of course, like it's really far away, but all that just means is that Colton Wong will, will not be back in Week 14. So don't have to worry about that. And it's, uh, it's unfortunate because could have been a week of some nice matchups for Colton Wong. He won't get be there to uh, take advantage of those. Justin Upton is out of the lineup again for the Tigers today. Uh, this is the third straight game that Upton's out of the lineup. He's dealing with a sore right side. And uh, Tigers today facing Mike Clevenger and the Cleveland Indians. And uh, we've got Andrew Romine taking Upton's place in left field. Uh, Mikey Matuk getting another start in center field as well. And uh, no Ian Kinsler, just a uh, routine day off for Kinsler. You got Dixon Machado playing second base and batting ninth in the lineup and uh, batting in the leadoff spot is Jose Iglesias. So a little bit of a different look there for the Tigers against Mike Clevenger. And since I have brought up this game, uh, I will take a moment to tell you about the Sunday Streamers column that I wrote for FanRag. Uh, came out yesterday. But something that you may want to check out if you are able to still make changes ahead of first pitch today, because of all, it's, it's, I don't think it's a very good day to actually be making waiver moves if you need pitching help in a daily lineup league. But of all the options, I like Mike Clevenger the most. He's actually, I brought him up sort of offhandedly on Friday's show talking about flawed strikeout pitchers and Clevenger's flaw is that he doesn't have the best control. But He's been pretty good at avoiding hard contact. And he's very been very, very good against righties. And this Tigers lineup today uh, has Alex Avila, and then it's got the switch hitters, Victor Martinez, and Romine. But Avila, out of those three, is the only one that really would worry me for Clevenger's sake. I think it's a fantastic matchup. So if you have some way to get Mike Clevenger into your rotation today, uh, particularly if you need some, some strikeout help, uh, I think it's a good move. So a little digression there and also a way to promote my column. But back to uh, the injury news, DJ LeMay, who has missed his last three games with a groin injury. I don't believe there's a Rockies lineup yet. No, because that's a four o'clock Eastern start against the Diamondbacks and Taiwan Walker. If that lineup does, I don't think it will, but that lineup comes up. During the show, I will update you on LeMahieu's status, but as of right now, he's looking a little iffy for Week 14. Nelson Cruz left Saturday's game early with some right knee discomfort, so that's a big one to look for for Week 14. Starling Marte is set to begin a rehab assignment in the Florida State League today, so he'll uh, get uh, a little bit of playing action in before he comes off of the... Uh, off of his suspension, his PED suspension, uh, which will happen very shortly after the uh, after the All-Star break. Jason Hayward, also on rehab assignment, uh, this one, of course, an injury rehab, uh, Class A for Jason Hayward. So, uh, like I said, I'll uh, update you on any major lineup developments, any major injury developments, but let's uh, move ahead. Really, it's actually moving backwards I'm really going to be accurate about it to some of Saturday's performance 
performances. And uh, I think we definitely have to start with Clint Frazier because that was the one that had everybody's attention, again, with that announcement on Friday night that the Yankees were going to call him up. He might have been up a little bit sooner, but the Yankees went, went with bringing up Miguel Andujar uh, and I honestly, top of mind, don't remember the exact logistics of it, but it had to do with uh, you know where the Yankees were and sort of whether or not Frazier could get there in time. So just really delayed him by a day or so. But Frazier, it was worth the wait because on Saturday he went two for four with a home run and a double. So very, very nice uh, major league debut for Clint Frazier. And by the way, not the only, that's certainly the most notable major league debut yesterday, but we had a couple of pitchers make their major league debuts. We'll get to those a little bit later on in the show. But uh, as I said earlier, just a little bit earlier, with Frazier, there's an awful lot to like, most notably a power-speed combination that he's shown throughout the minor leagues at AAA Scranton-Wilkes-Barre Bar. I never know exactly how to pronounce that. Scranton-Wilkes-Barre. Um, he had 12 home runs and nine steals. But he also had a 257 batting average, and he's not always hit for average through his ascent through the minor leagues. He is a guy who derives a lot of his power through hitting fly balls, and so that is going to depress the batting average somewhat. So that's just something to keep in mind with Clint Frazier. Um, I think he is somebody that you've got to own in a five outfielder league, but you know the uh, batting average possibly suspect. I think he's a little bit borderline, maybe at best, for the uh, three outfielder formats. But, uh, you know, maybe you use him in a utility slot or something. I think he's, like I say, borderline depending on what what your options are there. Uh, in terms of other notable performances, probably doesn't get much more notable than Logan Morrison leaving the yard twice, hitting his 23rd and 24th home runs, and also walking twice, so reaching base four times against the Orioles. So Logan Morrison staying hot there and be interesting to see if he makes the all-star squad because those uh, announcements are coming tonight. Really looking forward to that. Um, but, you know, first base is going to be a tricky one because, as you all well know, so many great first base performances this year. So many more than I think uh, most of us were expecting. Anyway, a lot more great performances to get to later on in the show. But next segment, we're going to have Mike Podhortzer come on to talk to us about pitchers. So stick around for that. Should be a good one. Be right back. Welcome back, everybody. You are listening to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm Al Melkier, your host. And for this segment, I've got a special guest. I've got Mike Podhorzer on here. From fan ra- or sorry, fan graphs. Not the first time I've done that on this show. I have to admit, Mike Podhorser for fan graphs. Uh, he is the 2015 Fantasy Sports Writer Association Baseball Writer of the Year. And if you want to see uh, some examples of Mike's excellent fantasy baseball writing, not only uh, should you check his work over at fan graphs, but he's written an excellent ebook called Projecting X 2.0: How to Forecast, Forecast Baseball Player Performance. And if you've ever had any desire to do your own uh, projections, this is a fantastic guide. So, Mike, really great to have you back on the show. Hey, Al. Good to be here. In the middle of the season, almost the All-Star break, it's amazing how this season has already flown by. (laughs) That's exactly how I started off the show. Um, 
it, you know, every year this happens, but uh, yeah, it, it has just flown by. Uh, incredible. And yet we do still have half the season, you know, to go. So um, I found very helpful uh, a, a pair of uh, sort of companion pieces that you wrote for fan graphs uh, in the past week on comparing starting pitchers ERAs to their Sierras and then having, you know, leaderboards in terms of the largest positive and negative differentials for those pitchers. So there's a handful of them I really want to focus on, but it's they're uh, interesting pieces, really interesting lists. Uh, so something else for people to check out there, Mike. But before we dig into that, uh, maybe uh, if you can, just a very quick primer on Sierra, because I tend to kind of lean on XFIP, maybe uh, FIP for some pitchers, but you know, I lean a lot on XFIP in terms of uh, look, you know, getting a more predictive uh, measure for how pitchers might perform. Uh, how does Sierra differ, and how might it be better or worse? So simply put, Sierra actually uses many more inputs than both FIP and XFIP. XFIP and FIP only use strikeouts, walks, and home runs. And the difference between FIP and XFIP is FIP uses actual home runs allowed, while XFIP assumes a league average home run rate, whereas Sierra is not assuming uh, anything and not accounting for actual Rates. Instead, it's using batted ball distribution, such as ground ball, fly ball, line drive rates, strikeout rate, and walk rate. And it's throwing all of those metrics into a blender and out pops an ERA, basically what that pitcher's ERA should be given a neutral environment. So when I say neutral environment, it's actually ignoring the pitcher's defense and the pitcher's home park. And so that's why we can't automatically assume that the pitcher's ERA is going to regress either positively or negatively towards Sierra, but we still have to account for that home park and the defense. All right. So, yeah, a, a lot, uh, you know, like I said, that goes to that blender. But, you know, like every measure, um, you know, there's there's always a, a blind spot or, or some short, short shortcoming that we have to uh, take account of. Um, but... The, at the very top of your, we'll start with the, what you call the regressors list, the, the pitchers who uh, are, are maybe going to fade over the second half. At the top of that list is Andrew Kashner, and this is somebody who probably has fascinated me more than just about any starting pitcher this year, because you rarely see somebody succeed who doesn't strike out many batters, but yet walks about as many batters as he strikes out. Um, just ratios that you know you, you don't want to see from a starting pitcher, but he's consistently been near or at the very, very bottom of the list in terms of average fly ball distance. So there seems to be something to his success in terms of getting having success with balls in play, but uh, the, the ERA-Sierra differential for him is negative 2.27. So Sierra says he should be almost a six ERA pitcher going forward. Um, are, are you as pessimistic about Kashner as Sierra is? Yeah, I, for the most part I am. I mean, the thing is he's throwing his changeup more than he has since 2013. He's basically more than doubled the use of his changeup. And we always think of changeups as, as keeping hitters off balance and inducing weekly hit balls. And sure enough, his soft percentage is actually at a career high. So that kind of validates maybe that low uh, exit velocity. His home number fly ball rate is at the second lowest mark of his career, which is kind of surprising considering he's in a major hitter's park right now. And of course, as the weather warms up, and it's already been warm, but it's probably going to get warmer and warmer as we head into the later summer months, 
you don't really want to be a pitcher in Texas because that's when the balls start to fly out, and obviously home runs are up uh, across the league. We're at record numbers right now. And if you're barely striking out more batters than you're walking, with neither of those numbers being good, then this is a guy that I don't want anywhere near my fantasy team. And that's the thing, even if, if you buy into, and I do to a certain degree buy into, like you said, the low home run to fly ball ratio, the low uh, fly ball distance uh, uh, average, uh, it just seems like you're skating on really thin ice when that's what you're relying on for your success. Uh, now, Danny Duffy, I talked earlier in the show about him coming back from the DL most likely this Tuesday. He's pretty high up on the list. According to Sierra, uh, his ERA, well, taking all those factors into account, should be 4.83. Uh, what do you see for him going forward? Yeah, I mean, it's fairly obvious to see what has happened to Duffy. If you just look at the strikeout-to-walk ratios, it basically is its as if last year never happened. Uh, last year, he opened the season in the bullpen, and the majority of pitchers, when they move from the rotation to the bullpen, their velocity increases. And that's what happened with Duffy. But the thing is, when he moved into the starting rotation, he actually maintained that relief velocity. So he was throwing in the high 90s. He had never done that as a starting pitcher before. So... His peripherals were fantastic. He had a, a true skills breakout with a mid-20% strikeout rate, 25.7%. His control was much improved as he was throwing a lot more strikes than he ever had been before. Then all of a sudden this year, hey, he's back to normal, as if last year never happened. He was unable to sustain that velocity spike, and his velocity is back down to his pre-2016 days. And his strikeout and walk rates are back to where they were before last year. So... I don't know if last year was a fluke or what happened, but basically you're looking at a mediocre starting pitcher from before last year, and he's been able to succeed still because he's been able to keep the ball in the park. And he could potentially do that given his home park of Kauffman Stadium. It suppresses home runs, but certainly not to this degree. So when he comes off the DL – I think what I would do if I was an owner is wait for his first good start just so the other owners in your league know, okay, he's healthy, he's back to normal, and then trade him because he's somebody I would really worry about with his velocity being down. Yeah, well, uh, I think that's good good advice. And somebody that uh, I've been looking to peddle is Robbie Ray um, because, as you point out in your column here, he's got the highest hard hit rate in the majors. Um, I'm not sure if that's still true after – after start yesterday, but you know it didn't go well, and and the Rockies, uh, you know, while they're not on the road, the toughest matchup, um, it it might have been his toughest matchup in a very long time. So uh, Robbie Ray, according to Sierra, should have a three point seven seven ERA, which is you know it, it's it's not bad, but it's certainly not what he's produced so far. Where do you see him settling in? Yeah, Robbie Ray is a bizarre character because everybody that wants to equate soft percentage, hard percentage to BABIP. And it's easy to do. Obviously, if you're inducing weekly hit balls, you think it makes sense. It's, it's logical. Oh, okay, he's going to have a low BABIP. And if you have a really hard, uh, high hard percentage, you're giving up a lot of hard hit contact, you're going to have a high BABIP. Well, Robbie Ray kind of laughs at that notion. And, and there are many examples of pitchers that don't really fit that. So you just wonder, how is he giving up so much hard contact, and yet his BABIP is at a career low? It's well below the league average. It doesn't really make any sense. And the thing is, is we look at last year, 
and we could argue that same point. Oh, he had a 490 ERA because look at that hard percentage. It was extremely high, well below the league average. And, and so you're kind of justifying that high ERA and high BABIP last year with the high hard percentage. Well, what about this year? There's really no explanation. So he's really a mystery. And, uh, I mean, his underlying peripherals are really good. He's striking out over 30% of the batters he's facing. He's had control issues. So I, I don't really know where to go from here. Uh, I'm guessing that other fantasy owners aren't really buying in, so it's going to be hard to actually sell high on him. So if you're an owner, you kind of just have to cross your fingers and hope that the hard-hit balls just kind of find gloves and the strikeouts are going to give you your value. Uh, yeah, uh, he is probably the most enigmatic pitcher in the majors. I have to admit, I'm just I'm not trusting him, and I I'm, I don't see how he can maintain this value, even if it's like you know he drops it into the mid threes um, in terms of ERA. I think there there could be some value there. And, and uh, just got a couple. Yeah, how, yeah. how does one reconcile a 31% strikeout rate with a 42% hard hit percentage? So basically what you're saying is <laughs> his stuff is so good that he's missing all these bats, they can't hit him, but when they do make contact, the ball gets hit very, very hard. It's such a, an extremely rare combination. Yeah, and I don't know, just you know, from a, a perspective, you know, thinking of hit, pitching and hitting, I don't know how to understand that. <laughs> I don't know how you reconcile that. Um, we've got, I think, just a little over a minute to go here. Um, I want to talk about Michael Fulmer because I've, I've viewed him as kind of a sneaky uh, by low target, but Sierra suggests that he's actually more sell high. So just real quickly, uh, which do you think is a, a better characterization for Fulmer? Yeah, so he's an interesting guy because he's only in his second year. Last year he outperformed to Sierra. He's doing it again by nearly the exact same amount. So you think, okay, maybe he's a guy who is doing something not being accounted for in the traditional metric strike on walk rates. But that's not necessarily the case because last year he did it with a low BABIP and a high left on base percentage. This year he's doing it in a completely different way. Really, it's been his home run per fly ball rate, which is mightily suppressed, whereas his left on base percentage is actually below the league average and his BABIP has regressed toward the league average. So he's doing it completely differently and because that's changed, it makes me think, okay, there's really nothing special about Michael Fulmer. He's just doing he's just getting fortunate in a different area than he was last year. Alright, well good good stuff Mike. We gotta go. So we didn't even get to the ERA improver. So just just uh, folks go to Fangraphs, check that uh, column out as well. Um, Mike, uh, people can find you on Twitter at Mike Podhorzer. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, Al. All right. Have a good one. We'll be right back after this break. Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior. And, uh, Got uh, just a little bit here to talk about in terms of the RotoExperts.com exclusive edge in-season fantasy baseball package because it is your ultimate bench coach for the 2017 season. Stay ahead of the pack with their in-depth statistical breakdowns, trend analysis, and player insights. Become a wizard of the waiver wire and learn how to scan the numbers like a Roto scientist. They can help you set the ideal lineups every single week. And this season, you get a built-in fantasy training staff with their new injury advisor, Powered by InsideInjuries.com. So get the RotoExperts.com exclusive edge in-season fantasy baseball package right now, and you'll start soaring to the top of the standings. Enter the promo code FREERADIO uh, to 
uh, at the checkout, <laughs> pardon me, enter that uh, code, free radio at the checkout for a special discount. Was uh, thinking ahead here because got some lineup uh, issues that you need to know about. Um, for the Brewers, Travis Shaw is out of the lineup with back spasms. And, uh, you know, whenever there's an injury like that for the Brewers, it's, it's sort of a mixed bag because it's hard to get everybody into that lineup that you might be wanting to start for fantasy. So the, uh, the uh, collateral impact there of Shaw being out of the lineup is that Hernan Perez gets a start at third base, and he is batting fifth in that lineup. Um, there is also now no Jonathan VR, so it's Eric Sogard getting the start at second base. They've been basically splitting time there since VR came back. Uh, Sogard leading off for the Brewers against Dan Straley and the Marlins. And for the Phillies, they'll be facing Rafael Montero and the Mets. And there is no Odubel Herrera in their lineup. And as strange as it might sound for the Phillies, who have you know hardly been a juggernaut this year, they have a little bit of a, a potential log jam. Uh, you've got Daniel Nava starting in left field, um, leading off for the Phillies. But because uh, Odubel Herrera is out just for um, he's out just for day of routine rest, uh, that is a, that makes it uh, possible for Pete McCannon to get Nick Williams back in the lineup. So you got Nava and Williams together in the Phillies lineup. And if you think I'm making a little too much of the fact that Daniel Nava's in the Phillies lineup, he's actually been excellent against righties this year. And the uh, Phillies have a bunch of righty starters coming up in week 14. So I've actually, the last few days since uh, Williams has been called up, been watching how McCannon handles the situation. Uh, it is just a routine day of rest uh, as far as anything that's been reported for Herrera. So um, it may be a tricky week ahead for both Nava and Williams. But uh, that's one I'm going to watch right up until the uh, lineup lock for tomorrow. But uh, anyway, so today both Nava and Williams uh, in the lineup for the fills. So um, with that said, let's take a step back to Saturday's performances as well. We've talked about Clint Frazier. we talked about Logan Morrison. As Dribble Cabrera stayed hot, speaking of that Mets-Philly series, and on Saturday he went two for four, and the two hits were his eighth home run of the year, his 11th double, and since coming off the disabled list, he's played in eight games and gone 13 for 33. That's a 394 batting average with now two doubles and, th- or sorry, two home runs and three doubles for his Dribble Cabrera. So it's a, it's a very small sample but we're starting to see a little closer to the form for Cabrera that we saw over the previous, uh, say, year and a half or so for him, what he really uh, rejuvenated his career. So that's somebody to think about. Maybe if you're still looking for a Trey Turner replacement for Week 14, Cabrera is looking like one of the more viable waiver options out there. Not going to come close to replacing those steals, but giving you a lot of production just about everywhere else. Steven Souza, uh, he's been pretty hot, went three for five with his 16th home run of the season and his 13th double of the season at Baltimore. Uh, with that 16th home run, Souza now has 16 home runs against right-handed pitchers. And he's actually had 96 plate appearances against lefties, not one home run against them. So that tells you a little something about your start sit decisions going forward with Steven Souza uh, with virtually no power against left-handed pitchers and a ton of it against righties. 
sticking with the Rays. Wilson Ramos showing power right away uh, just his first five games. He's now hit two home runs, went two for five on Saturday uh, in that same game against the Orioles uh, with his second home run of the year. So uh, those of you who waited for Ramos and started him right away, you are getting immediate payoff. And if you are thinking about starting him next week, there's really no reason not to. Uh, Nick Castellanos is somebody who I have brought up many times on this show. Uh, and he's, he's sort of, for me, like the anti-Zach Cozart, where every time I've talked about Zach Cozart, it's been the context of, he keeps hitting, but he, he can't keep this up. Uh, Castellanos, very much the opposite message, whereas I keep saying he's a stack cast hero, he, he just crushes the ball, and th- these numbers just have to get better. Uh, that's finally, finally happening happening with Nick Castellanos. He had uh, he and the Tigers had the double header yesterday against the Indians. He went four for eight across those two games with two doubles and a triple. So the power very much there. And now over his last 10 games, Castellanos is 14 for 35 for a nice, even 400 batting average. So even though the overall batting average is still uh, somewhere in the two thirties, uh, that's him digging himself out of a very deep hole. And uh, I, I do expect that the batting average is going to get better. The power will continue for Nick Castellanos. And uh, if you have a way to acquire him very cheaply, I like that idea an awful lot. Logan Forsyth has been uh, red hot as well. He uh, went four for five on Saturday with a pair of doubles. Uh, this at the Padres. And those four hits came on top of four hits in Friday's game, so Forsyth actually got hits in eight consecutive at-bats. And that is great news for him because he has really struggled this year. Of course, he's been hurt for part of the season. The Dodgers uh, acquisition, that seemed to be a big boon for Forsyth in terms of his fantasy value, going to a good park, a very good lineup, and uh, some opportunities to hit in the leadoff for, uh, for the Dodgers Hadn't really panned out up until very recently, but it looks like Logan Forsythe finally coming around. And I broke down the splits for you, the lefty-righty splits for Steven Souza. They've been rather extreme. Jose Abreu's had some weird splits as well. He's actually having, uh, I think, a very quietly good season, and it's quiet because of all the emerging stars at first base, and he's been sort of left in the dust. But in terms of power production... He's having a really nice bounce-back season. Uh, he has homered in each of his last two games against the Rangers for a total of 15 this year. But prior to Friday, so Abreu had, was, was at 13 home runs at that point. All 13 were on the road. And that is bizarre for a guy who not only has power, but has a home park that's one of the better home run parks in the major leagues in guaranteed rate field, a.k.a. U.S. Cellular Field, a.k.a. Comiskey Park. Um, but, um, Comiskey, uh, sorry, just got uh, hung up on those names there. Uh, but anyway, it's Abreu, so uh, now has hit two home runs at home. So um, it's good for Jose Abreu. That was a weird split that now seems to be correcting itself a little bit. And it's been a while since I've talked about Danny Santana on this show. Uh, he doesn't play much. That's probably the biggest reason. But earlier on this year, uh, in, in very, very limited play, 
Uh, I had noted that if Santana maybe, you know, by way of an injury to a Braves player, uh, got an opportunity to get more playing time, that, uh, you know, he's somebody to keep an eye on because uh, he was one of the leaders in, uh, I think it was uh, average fly ball distance. I know that some of the the stack cast measures, Danny Santana um, was was, uh, doing surprisingly well. Well, he's continued to really hit for power, and he did get a chance to start on Saturday uh, at Oakland in place of Matt Kemp. And Santana went two for four with a pair, or I'm sorry, with one double. So, but he has eight on the year. And he stole three bases. And those are both noteworthy developments. So I'm going to break them down individually. So Santana, with with the eight doubles, to me, he's very reminiscent in a way of Enrique Hernandez, who I've talked about recently on this show. Not a lot of opportunities for playing time. But in the limited playing time that Santana's had, he's really taken advantage of it. Uh, So, you know, as the case with Hernandez, I mean, if there becomes an opportunity for either of those guys to get regular playing time, they, they could be some nice deep league power sources. Uh, so, you know, that's somebody that you necessarily would be paying a lot of attention to. But then there's the three steals. Steven Vogt is gone. So you might have thought that the A's were going to continue to be, um, uh, or rather, it, with, with, with Steven Vogt gone, you might have thought that the A's would not be such a great team to pick against in terms of uh, stolen bases. But Santana stole all three bases against Josh Fegley, and he has not had the best record of controlling the running game. And so far, uh, Bruce Maxwell, he's been better, better than Fegley, better than Vote was, but um, you know certainly doesn't excel in that area. So something to look ahead as you're setting Week 14 lineups, or really any future weekly lineups, um, who's going to be running the bases against the A's uh, so in week 14, it's the White Sox and the Mariners. And, of course, the Mariners have several stolen base threats, but Gerard Dyson looks like a particularly enticing one and one who might be available in some of your leagues. And Adam Engel, uh, who already has four stolen bases in very limited time uh, and getting regular playing time now with the White Sox, he's going to get a chance maybe to pick up some, pick up some steals. So uh, think about those guys as uh, you're setting your lineups. Anyhow, lots of pictures to get to. We got one more segment to discuss them. So stick around. Be right back. This is FanRock Fantasy Baseball. I'm Al Melchior, your host. Going to bring the show home this segment uh, with some of the standout pitching performances from Saturday. And I had said earlier in the show that it wasn't just Clint Frazier making his Major League debut on Saturday. It was also Paul Blackburn uh, for the Oakland Athletics. And it was uh, also Jackson Stevens for the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, it, uh, both starts were sort of intriguing. I mean, Blackburn's was clearly a, a, a very good start going, uh, six innings, uh, with, uh, just one run allowed, three hits, no walks or, uh, one walk, four strikeouts, uh, that, uh, against the Braves and, um, just, uh, 
one moment here. So checking something out because I have a feeling I said something that was factually incorrect. Um, no, never mind. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, got a little uh, could, uh, confused there about Blackburn, but uh, no, that was all all correct. And um, coming up from AAA Nashville, had a 3.05 ERA there. Not been a, a great strikeout pitcher or control pitcher over his minor league career, but a lot of ground balls, 55% rate this year. So, you know, there there maybe is uh, some future for Blackburn. This was just a spot start, uh, basically giving Jarrell Cotton an extra day to deal with the blister issue. But uh, I would expect we'll see Blackburn up again and uh, could be an intriguing deep league option. I mentioned Jackson Stevens against the Cubs, five innings, uh, three runs on six hits and a walk, but eight strikeouts. That does not really jive with his minor league record, but nice performance from Stevens nonetheless. But we have some veterans who seem to be turning the corner. Rich Hill with another good start. This one against the Padres, granted, but he had a good start against the Angels uh, with a high strikeout count. The last time out, and this time against the Padres, seven scoreless innings, 11 Ks in this one, just one walk, uh, four hits. Michael Waka seems to be getting back on track, and this was against the Nationals, so high degree of difficulty there for Michael Waka. Six scoreless innings on four hits and a walk with nine Ks. And Cole Hamels looking good against the White Sox, who have been the majors' best hitting team against left-handed pitchers so far this year. Six and two-thirds innings, two runs on two hits, no walks with six Ks. So nice starts for all three, Hill, Waka, Hamels. Pitchers that you may have thought a couple weeks ago weren't worth starting in a 12-teamer, uh, looking like they're they're back in form. Gio Gonzalez has had a pretty steadily good season, but I think the peripherals are finally catching up to the performance in a good way, which is he's still pitching well. Had a nice start against the Cardinals, seven innings, one run on two hits and two walks with nine strikeouts. Over Gonzalez's last five starts, he has a 2.18 ERA, but he's had 39 strikeouts and 33 innings with just 10 walks. Still stranding a bunch of runners, but even XFIP says, Gio Gonzalez, you should have had a 3.49 ERA. That'll work, especially at a two-start week. So Gonzalez, uh, uh, better peripherals of late. And... Um, Last couple of pitchers to mention here, Ricky Nolasco with a complete game shutout against the Mariners. That's two scoreless outings in a row for Ricky Nolasco. I have absolutely no explanation for that, but he has been good at times. And Chad Cool, very good against the Giants, six innings, just one run allowed. Uh, getting a lot of swings and misses this year. Not a lot of pulled fly balls, so good to see him go six innings and start. Hadn't done that in a long time. So Chad Cool. um, somebody to uh, think about in, in deeper formats as well. I think there's better performances to come from him than what we have seen so far. So uh, that's a wrap in terms of uh, the show today. But I once again want to thank Mike Pod- Pod- Podhorzer, easy for me to say, Mike Podhorzer for coming on the show earlier on. Uh, we will be back tomorrow. So see you then. Have a great holiday.